Tristan und Isolde opens the Mets' 2016-17 season in a new production starring Nina Stemma and Stuart Skelton, conducted by Simon Rattle. Welcome back to the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. On this episode, an insider's perspective on Wagner's towering drama. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. To learn more, visit metguild.org. I'm Naomi Baratera, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kyle Homewood. Thanks to you all for joining us. With the Mets opening night only a few days away on September 26th, we have a special conversation between Opera News Editor-in-Chief F. Paul Driscoll and the Mets Assistant General Manager for Music Administration, John Fisher. They're going to help us demystify what goes into preparing a performance of an epic opera like Tristan und Isolde. John, it's a pleasure to be here with you discussing Tristan. What was your first encounter with the opera? Well, my very first encounter with the opera was 1974, I believe. I'm almost certain it was that year. And I went to Bayreuth. Mm -hmm. um, I was living in Brussels at that time. <clears throat> I went to Bayreuth to hear my first Tristan, well, the first one I heard, uh, which was Carlos Kleiber. And uh, it was with Katarina Regenza, I believe, another Swedish soprano. Mm -hmm. um, Yvonne Minton, I remember, and Kurt Moll. Mm -hmm. And the tenor... I think was it's a name I never knew before. I've written it down. Brilliot Helga. His Helga Brilliot. His name was with a Tristan. Uh -huh. um, and that was the first time I'd heard the entire opera. I'd heard bits of it. Of course, I heard it in concerts and and so on. But that was the very beginning of my career. When I was very young, and so that was the first time I had any real contact with the opera. I suppose it's fair to say. So, mm -hmm. what was your overall impression hearing oh, it the first time? Uh, I mean, I'm I was working in opera by that time, and of course, I'm a musician, so it's. Uh, I was overwhelmed. I mean, it was just, you know, like something washing over you. It was just so... I, my impressions were the the newness of it in many respects and the and the, the innovation in compositional terms. But, I mean, it was, a, it was a breakthrough, really, in composition, I would say. Mm -hmm. A bridge towards the future and particularly the 20th century and composers in the 20th century. I mean, you can hear that from the, the structures in the, in the composition technique his um, use of chromaticism, tonalities, harmonies, and so on and so forth, which were quite different and new and daring, I suppose you could say. And uh, you suspended harmonies where there, where there was what one can call non-resolution and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it was... But that's the musical point of view, but the whole experience with the text and the... And the the ca ca how the mu how the drama was captured in the music. I mean, we know that Wagner was a genius, clearly, and he wrote the libretto as well. I mean, but he he managed to capture whatever the mood was or whatever the dramatic situation was so perfectly in the music and in the orchestration and in the vocal part, of course. Um, it just was perfect in that respect, and I just was bowled over with it. I mean, I'd, um, the only Wagner opera up to that point that I had worked on was Lohengrin, mm -hmm. which was earlier, of course, and I, which I love. I was considered to be the most Italian at opera of, of the uh, Wagner operas. But... Um, Yes, it was a it was a very important moment for me. It was just a splendid ex experience for me, just amazing. Has your relationship with Tristan changed? I mean, obviously you've heard it a lot since. Heard then. it a lot. I've worked on it a couple of times and worked with singers, of course. Um, I, I think 
any time you work on an opera over a period of years in different situations, different conductors, different singers, different productions, and you get to know anything you work on several times, you start to get, you get it, you dig deeper, I suppose. You have a deeper understanding and a deeper appreciation of certain things. And you notice things perhaps you didn't notice before because um, it's such a huge work. Um, and things start to, which perhaps not that they didn't make sense before then, but certain things suddenly make more sense and become more logical. And uh, uh, and you become much more acquainted with it. It becomes part of you. You're singing it as you're going along the road, and you're and you're. It's just you know as things become part of you. And uh, I actually worked because I went after that a couple of years later. I went to the to Milan to the Scala, and I was there when we did the production there. And that was coincidentally also Cliver who was conducting that, and um, so that was an experience in itself. And then, and then of course here in New York with with Maestro Levine, which you know one of the great conductors of all time, and uh, I was very fortunate to be working with him on the on this opera and with the, when the new production was new here um, back in '99 I think it was, mm-hmm. um, and then we repeated again in 2003 for season, uh, and that was a wonderful experience and very interesting it's always interesting to you and of course I've seen and heard recordings and and um, there there are and should be different approaches to it there's no one way of performing an opera or performing any musical work I mean that's interpretation that's what it means so um, it's always fascinating to me um, and of course you form your own ideas of how you feel the music and how you you um, what seems I suppose logical is the best way in, in my mind anyway how how it seems logical, and that you think, yes, well, that's of course that's how it goes, how it, that's how it should be, or how it feels right to you. And I find that always very interesting. So mm. the Met has another new production coming up this it season does. on opening night, mm-hmm. and Simon Rattle is conducting. He is indeed. Mm. So as the director of, or the assistant uh, general manager for music here at the Met, how do you work with a conductor before the rehearsals start to find out what his interpretation is going to be? Well, before we get to that point, of course, we have I have um, a contact with the conductor discussing rehearsals and how he wants the rehearsals to be in a broad stroke sense before he actually gets here. I've been in touch with him um, either verbally or by email or whatever to discuss these practical things, uh, which are important because I mean the amount of time he has to rehearse in certain like orchestra readings alone and then zitz probas, which means um, singers singing with the orchestra in a purely musical rehearsal. Um, and then, of course, the next stages are the stage orchestra rehearsals, which which we had one yesterday, and we have another one tomorrow. You know, there's, there's a sort of build-up to the to the to the opening night, so it's important to discuss these things. More specifically, musically, when he gets here, we I try to organise it be music rehearsals with the singers. He came, and we were actually already on stage with the with the piano with this for the staging rehearsal. So he came to them, and of course was in the pit conducting them. So he could already get an idea how the singers were were interpreting, how they were singing, how they were, what their musical instincts were, and so on. I'm very much with him at that all the way through that process, and what I hear and what he hear, we discuss a lot, and what who needs what, and who needs more work, less work, who doesn't need any work, who's you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a normal process with a conductor in my position. And things will change when you work with a different singer or a different conductor. Then certain conductors will do one conductor will do it in a certain way, another one in another. You might not always personally agree with that. You might feel that maybe that's not perhaps the way you feel it. But then, in my kind of job, mm-hmm. it's very important for me to um, whether I agree with it or not is really not the issue. It's about me making it work and helping the process come together with with everyone involved, the, the singers, the, the conductor, the orchestra, everybody, to make sure that comes together. 
and that to 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 enable help enable that. Um, working with the singers, you're working a lot vocally and musically in the phrasing and the text, very much the text, the colouring and how they use their um, colouring their vowels and that's what I call about palette of colours, how they use the, the vowels to convey the sound and convey the intention that they want to convey or should be conveying in a particular interpretative moment. Um, that's part of my job as a coach, working with when I work individually with the singers. And uh, and that's part of the, of the whole process, of course, very much so. And then when you're working, once you work together with the conductor, then of course you very much are working with the tempi of the conductor, the intentions of the conductor, and you, when you work with the singer, you have to bring that together and you have to totally respect that because you have to encourage the singer to work with that and uh, and come together with that. That's part of my job anyway when I'm doing working on a production like this. Maestro Rattle is a is a obviously a hugely gifted conductor, a wonderful conductor, and he's and the, everyone is enjoying the process very much. And of course, the music is what it is, so it's always a huge pleasure and a thrill for anybody who's involved in that. So it's always it's a new experience when you have a different conductor coming in, and that's always exciting. And uh, and again, I use the word thrilling a lot, but because it is thrilling, that's the way I feel it. Mm. Well, you have a thrilling cast. You've got we ne- certainly do Nina Stemma as Isolde and Stuart Skelton yep. as Tristan. What are the particular challenges in casting those two roles, which are sort of the summit of that Wagner repertoire? That's a very good question, and I think I'd start by saying um, this type of role, and I have to be careful how I put this because it's it's really important that the singer, whoever takes on Tristan or Isolde um, has a voice which is robust I don't mean a huge wide what I call you know um, you could think of perhaps in your mind as a Wagnerian voice that's a very difficult thing to define by the way Um, and there have been many different kinds of voices who have tackled these roles but what is important is you have to have a robust voice all through the range because the, the, the roles require a lot of singing in what we call the middle of the voice a lot of text which, of course, is vital. You have to understand the text very, very clearly, and not only the, the text and the pronunciation and the clarity of the text, but the intention behind the words and the, and the, and the interpretative intention, the fantasy, as I call it, that's got to be communicated to the public. So the, the robustness is important for another reason, because, and also, you know, there's quite a range in both of these, in the, both of these roles, and sometimes it's, they sing in anger, or sometimes they sing in pure passion, romantic passion, and more than that. And a lot of the time, it's very intimate, extremely intimate, very piano, quiet singing. Um, so that requires absolute control vocally of the voice. You need to be in control of it all the time, and that means really solid technique. Mm-hmm. You need to have a solid support system. That's the diaphragmatic support, of course, that there, um, which, of course, as we know, helps to project the voice into the house. Uh, it also enables the singer to, to have their... Um, use their palette of colours to colour the words, to phrase in the way they want to phrase with whatever dynamic it happens to be. Um, they need that control as any instrumentalist has to have. And that's vitally very important. And the other thing is, of course, they need stamina. And that, of a role which of an opera of this length, and they sing a lot, believe me, a lot. And for a long time, so you have to, you know, it's about pacing. Pacing in, in singing roles like this is of paramount importance. And that takes time. You have to. I mean, of course, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. So when you actually, <laughs> until you actually come to do it, you're never going to really know until you've sung the whole opera through. But that's how you learn. And of course, it's very important that you sing and release the sound and produce it in a very well supported and technically proficient way. 
So you're never tempted to what we call push or drive the voice into something that becomes actually less focused and much more tiring. So, and that's important for the stamina and the pacing, as I said. Mm. Within this wonderful four-hour musical landscape, do you have a favorite moment in Tristan and Isolde? I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> uh, you know, that's always a difficult question in most works that I'm doing with operas or whatever they are, just to pick a, a, a favorite moment. But uh, I gave it some thought, and I, I mean, everything is magnificent, and I have a lot of favorite moments. But the one that always brings a lump to my throat and tears to my eyes and, and goosebumps is in the second act, during the love duet, the love scene in the second act, um, where we actually hear, I think I'm certain, yes, it is the first time we hear what we call the theme of the, the motif of the Liebestor, which you hear at the end of the opera sung by um, Isolde, when Tristan starts to sing it extremely quietly and then taken over by Isolde and then gradually they start to sing together and the, and the, the passion and the, and the, the energy builds up, builds up, builds up and then all of a sudden it's interrupted by the second entrance of Brangena, who is off stage, it, she's calling her warning, Brangena's warning, her roof they call it the call and she, um, it's the second time she sings this but this interrupts this at a certain point that whole scene for me is so moving uh, building up to that moment and it just gives me goosebumps every time I hear it, it makes me, it brings tears to my eyes so if I had to pick one, maybe that would, that would be the one I'd pick, but there are many, believe me So we're going to hear the excerpt from Act Two of Tristan, the statement of the love theme. Can you set this up plot-wise just a little bit? What's going on on stage when this happens? Well, they're in they're in the middle of this ecstatic love scene, etc. And he's he's they're beginning to come to the denouement where it's begun to come forward, and it's come it's coming to as I say when before she comes in with the last roof, etc. And it's where uh, they're going to go into the last part of the duet, and so it's it's been. Pretty wild about this point, and then they come. There, it becomes very, very intimate, and he looks at her, and it becomes, and it becomes extremely intimate between the two of them. And he starts singing this extremely piano, extremely piano, with a shimmering, almost like a gossamer thing underneath it in the orchestra, stunning. And you feel the intimacy. It's the intimacy that's important. I, for me personally, that's what it's, what gets me. It's heart. It's it's heartrending. When you know the story and how it finishes, it's sort of heartbreaking in a sense as well. But it's so it's so beautiful because it's so beautiful. And it's just sort of goes towards when she comes in and then, of course, then what happens beyond that when they're interrupted, when they're coming and they're discovered. And if you know the opera, you know that's what's going to happen, of course, when you know that's the thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, so it's at that point in the, in the, in the big love scene, in the act two, which is very pivotal. Uh, that's what's happening there. And it's extreme. It's the intimacy. I think it's the moment you really feel an intimacy between the two of them, which I, yes. that's, I personally feel that. Yeah. I agree. Mm.
That was James Levine conducting the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra with Jane Eaglin as Isolde, Ben Hepner as Tristan, and Katarina Daleman as Brangina. So a lot of us are very eager to hear Tristan come back to the Met because we love the opera, but for those people who've never heard the opera before, what's the moment that you would have them listen for? What's an extraordinary moment for a neophyte to... For a neophyte, well... Um, I should preface, preface, preface this by saying, and I will say this and answer your question in a minute, but relating to what I said earlier, I do believe that this opera is one, and it might sound strange to say this because it's a long opera, it's Wagner, but even for people who've never been to an opera who are not necessarily avid classic music fans, classical music fans, I would defy anybody not to be moved by it and not to be affected by it because it's so overwhelmingly beautiful and thrilling and all these things. Um, moving and you don't have to understand German you don't have to understand whatever that is quote unquote classical music you just need to experience it so I would urge anybody who has never been to this or even never been to an opera if you want a, a really amazing overall experience come and see it that said in answer to your question um, I think the obvious thing to say would be the very beginning of the opera and that would be what's known now as the Tristan chord, which is the beginning of the thing. And you, it's so recognisable and so unique. And it, it's something you can spot all the way through the opera. It's, it, it comes back in various forms. It, it's absolutely recognisable. So I think it would be fun for somebody to, to hear that at the beginning. Remember that and you won't forget it. And you'll certainly recognise it when it comes back all the time through the opera. So that's, the, I think, the moment I would suggest that people hone in on it's the very first thing that's played and the first few bars it's repeated several times but the first few bars from there and they'll it'll go in and they'll remember it and they'll recognize it i guarantee it as they go through
That is also James Levine conducting the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra in Tristan und Isolde in 1999. Do you have a favorite part of your job as it stands now? Well, I'm a musician, mm -hmm. so I mean, this job is obviously a management job, and it's, uh, there's a lot of administrations that's attached to it, but... I mean, if I'm truthful, I suppose the making the music and when I'm working with singers and, and involved in the whole musical stuff with the conductors and the orchestra. And, and, um, but I love coaching. I love, I love teaching singers, working with singers. I love preparing their roles for them and helping them. I, I love the contact with the artists. Uh, I love the orchestra with everybody. So, yeah, I suppose because I'm a musician, fundamentally, then that's probably what I love, uh -huh. uh, what my love is. But because of that, that enables me to enjoy all the other aspects of it because, you know, it's a specific art form, so we're involved, which we're very fortunate to be involved in. I always say that. So I love every part of it. But, I mean, I'm probably in my element, I suppose that's the best way of putting it, when I'm sitting working with a singer and, and really, you know, feeling, and you feel that's really getting somewhere and you're really making progress, that's a very exciting and satisfying feeling. In the one-on-one, -on -one, you mean, with a singer? Particularly the one-on-one, -on -one, yeah. Mm -hmm. And obviously when you're working with the conductor there and I'm listening to the rehearsals, or I'm, you know, I get a lot of huge pleasure out of that too. Um, but the one-on-one -on -one working with the singers is very very satisfying, particularly when you feel it's you're really both making progress and going forward and you see something come out of that that's really positive, then that's very, very satisfying for me. Special thanks to F. Paul Driscoll and John Fisher for providing such outstanding insight into Tristan Untezolda. It opens this season at the Met on September 26. If you're interested in digging into the music and history behind the opera, look out for our next episode on October 5th. We'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on the podcast, so please post a review in iTunes or email us at info at metguild.org. I'm Kyle Homewood. And I'm Naomi Baratera. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast.